you're listening to Innovative Minds with Melanie Francis, where we talk to some of the top thought leaders, business leaders, and marketers around the globe. Tune in every Thursday and spark your mind. And now, let's get into it. Welcome back to Innovative Minds. Today, I have a very unique guest to the ones that I've previously ever had on the show. You may know him if you are into big wave surfing. He's really big sports star when it comes to big wave. I'm not a big surfer myself, but Mark Matthews is pretty famous within the surfing world. But what appealed for me to reach out to Mark, other than some of my employees being very big wave surfers and follow him (laughs) fanatically, was he's been able to touch and move himself from surfing into actually helping businesses overcome fear. So all the fear that he goes through of going surfing, and he's got such an inspiring story, which we'll touch on about how he went and overcame his fear. I mean, he was actually fearful of surfing himself and has been injured numerous of times and so many times gone back and overcame those fears. And then he became obsessed with fear. And I really thought this is a really, really different angle because as business owners, we have so much fear that's inside of us. And I really wanted to bring someone that has overcome their fear with such a massive star, speaks as a motivational speaker to some of the biggest names like Red Bulls recently on Iconic, speaking to big names and helping them overcome fears in business. And I wanted to bring his voice to this podcast because for all of you listening, I think this is going to be super inspirational, super from a different angle. His big, his personal brand is huge on Instagram specifically. I mean, I think think he's followed about 200K. So I'm really excited to touch on his story about fear, how he overcame it, how he actually moved into motivational speaking and also the whole personal brand thing and how important that actually is in surfing, which I recently found out because I've been watching all his videos to prepare for this. So welcome, Mark. Super excited to have you on. Thank you. It's nice to be with you. Awesome. Well, I guess the first thing, Mark, for all of us that don't know your story and listening on, it's such an amazing story. Tell me about you know how you became a name because I loved – the story about you know Tasmania like the first time you were called out so and you know and the whole concept of the fear of going out there but start from the beginning you know so were you into surfing from when you were really little when when was it like you're like I'm gonna be a surfer yeah I I fell in love with the sport when I was young and it was my dream to make a career out of this sport that I loved I wanted to be a world champion chip tour surfer and compete on the tour never in my wildest imagination did i want to become a big wave surfer i was quite fearful of the ocean and i wasn't kind of the kid amongst my peers who would surf the biggest waves by the time i was about 19 i was working in a bar in sydney at circular key making coffees cocktails stuff like that and it was getting to the point where I was like the dream of becoming a, a big wave surfer was starting to vanish. Like I didn't really, it wasn't making enough money to support myself, had to work in the bar. And I was getting to the age where I was like, I was going to have to make the decision to give up on the dream and go and possibly study, do a trade or just do something else more valuable with my time. And out of the blue, I got a call from the editor of the biggest surf magazine at the time, which was Tracks surfing magazine this is like i'm 40 so this is a long time ago no social media like we're still taking photographs with film cameras and stuff like that so to get a call from the editor of the magazine and be invited on a surf photo shoot for the magazine is like that's as big as it gets in surfing i was so excited i was kind of surprised that he had actually rung me but i found out later that he had probably rung 40 other surfers before he got to my name at the bottom of the list because the place that we were going to surf was kind of rumored to be one of the scariest waves on the planet. It was a new wave that had just been found down in Tasmania. And the other surfers had turned the opportunity down. And as much as I wanted to turn it down because I didn't really want to go surf this scary wave, I was kind of like, this is my only shot at at getting a career. If I turn this down, there's no way I never get another opportunity to do one of these photo shoots. And I ended up going down there 
and due to a couple of different factors, one being that I was living with my mum at the time and she was quite sick and she hadn't been able to work for about a month. And because of that, I kind of had in the back of my head, I was like, like my mum might never be able to go back to work and which means that I've got to provide for her. So I think like on some level, like my mum ended up getting better and being absolutely fine. But mm. at that moment when I was down there on this surf trip, I was like extra motivated to make this work because I was like, I think I could make something out of this career and then help mm. my mum out. And it was that little bit of extra motivation that just like gave me these moments of, of motivation to push through my fear and take off on some waves that I never would have done kind of before that. And I ended up surfing some of the biggest barreling waves in history at that point. The photos went all around the world. And off the back of that, I got my first big surfing sponsorship. And as much as I wanted to never do something so scary like that again, The sponsors were like, look, we're not paying you to try and be a competitive tour surfer. We would like you to keep doing that. Surf big waves, travel around the world, chase them down, surf them, create content and provide us with some marketing value. And that was my only shot at a career. So I was like, okay, I better figure out how to deal with all this fear and stress that surfing big waves is going to bring on me so that I can have this career. Because I wanted the career more than I feared surfing the big waves and eventually like after a year or two of like chasing and surfing big waves eventually I got confident enough where I really fell in love with the feeling of it like it's wow it's such an addictive feeling it's it's insane so so and then and then my career relied on exactly that that was the business of big wave surfing for me find forecast chase down surf the biggest waves bring a team of filmers photographers water safety crew travel around the world document the moment surfing the big waves and then the content goes into the media based on the marketing value of the media we get paid in bigger and bigger sponsorships like that's the business of big wave surfing so i i was never that talented so i'm like i'm going to figure out how to get really good at the business aspect of surfing to make up for the lack of talent aspect of surfing so wow. that's what made me really interested in one, the like psychology of dealing with the fear and stress, but then also the the business of like being a kind of niche marketing company for these brands. And and the better I got at that, the more valuable I was and my team was to the company. Int- okay, super interesting. Was, so this event puts you on the map. You You constantly say, you know, I'm not the best. I'm not even physically meant to be a surfer. You've got you know, so much humility in what you do, which I, you know, find very inspirational because you say you're not the best, but you've taken out, I think, in a row, the, and I'm not a big surfing thing, but three times in a row, one of the most best awards that you can possibly get in big surfing. Wave awards, yeah. Big wave awards, <laughs> yeah. Three times in a row in the, in the year after year after year. So you're kind of suggesting that you don't even have to be the best in what you do to be successful. And you kind of are hinting at marketing in a way to position in a way that, you know, you can get to be the best without actually being the best in that category of whatever it is you are doing. Can we go into that a little bit more? It depends. Yeah, it depends on what you're doing, of course. It's like in my world of big wave surfing, it's about content and exposure and then and then the world and the viewers see the content that you create and make up their own mind about what you're doing. It's not a specific competition where I'm trying to win a race. And it's like, wow. so I'm, if I'm a 100-meter sprinter, you got to be pretty genetically gifted to be the best at that, you know, whereas yeah. I still have to be good and, and be able to surf these waves. And, and when I say I'm not the genetic gift to be a surfer, it's like, the level of talent, like there's the kind of physical talent to, to or perform on a wave, like in big wave surfing, it's less of that. Like it's less of the acrobats that you would do on the wave type thing, right? It's more about surviving it. It's like simple, basic surfing, but you have to be able to do that under pressure. Like that's, so oh, that's I what I tried to like, become good at managing the pressure and the fear so that I can then access the talent that I do have, 
which is above average, but it's not the best, so that I can still do this sport, you know. And wow. then it was like, then it was like becoming good at capturing and creating the content with my team. Like how I get the best filmers, best photographers, how can we creatively capture these moments so they stand out more than any other surfer out there and and we're just more valuable on a on a marketing basis than the other surfers out there the other team that super interesting that mental game and i really want to get into content because that's really exciting it's something new that i haven't seen you speak as much about and what a relevant way to talk in this podcast particularly about the content and the exposure you have to create as a brand to actually get known in a sport because we most of us that are looking back going, oh, it's just a sport. It's just like, you know, turn up and be the best. But there is this whole other angle to it that you're saying mm. like, and you have to actually record it creatively, expose it, create that moment of look at this moment. So we can – I really want to go deep into that, but the mental game Kind of it. influencer. It's like old, old oh, wow. school influencer. It's what I know, not an influencer would be now. But wow. within a sport, kind of. Wow. You know, like, like I, so you have bit. to actually have a team around you to actually make you shine and get those sponsorships, I'm guessing, in further Definitely. going. You're, on, you're, you're the star, but then you have to create that starmanship mm. for yourself by not just yep. turning up to the wave and surfing it, but making sure that you, how you're going to act. And I, I'm curious to know, yeah, how you'd even do that. But the mental thing, if we just go back, so you're saying that. For you, you have to mentally overcome the fit because it's not tech, it's not technical for how you're going to move, but how do you actually overcome this? What was it when you started your career to what you do now to get over that fear? Has that transformed in sort of with the learnings that you've had as to how you overcome that? Like was there a moment going, shit, this is, you know, something that I should have been doing back then? Like was that that aha moment for you? Yeah, for sure. There's been a couple, yeah. <laughs> a few, more than a few. The, the The main thing that I learned initially and that hasn't changed is like the only way through fear is experience. Like you get experience at something and through that experience, you build the necessary skills and obtain the necessary knowledge in order to manage and master the situation that you're scared of. But you need the skills and the knowledge. Otherwise, it's going to be really difficult to not be fearful in a situation because the situation you're always going to be at danger of failing because you don't mm. have the experience. So then it's like the the process of small step by step, like exposure to the wave. So for me, it's like get comfortable at 10 foot waves, 12 foot waves, 15 foot waves, 20 foot waves, you know, like up to 50 foot waves. Like it's just a gradual progression. And then of course it's doing everything in and around getting that experience possible, like the health factor, like staying healthy, fit, doing the underwater training, all of that type of stuff. But the starting point, if getting that experience, right, is a necessity. But often just getting the experience, you have to face a, an element of fear in itself, right? So that process is always going to be really hard. So that's why I figured like the starting point has to be, in some regards, like you got to want, those things more than your fear doing what it takes to get there. Like you got to want those special moments. Oh, I, I need to want the success of my surfing career. Either want that or I want to avoid not have, you know, the failure. It's one right. of the, the failure of not taking action. Like, so if you don't take action at this thing that you're scared of, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? If you're really clear around those two things, then you create enough motivation to push yourself to, get the experience, build the skills, gain the knowledge. And then eventually you'll just start to slowly become comfortable in those areas that you're nervous in now. And there's, it's, look, there's limits to everything for sure. But more often than not, I think it's very difficult to comprehend what you can deal with from where you're at now. Like, cause it's like an exponential growth as you get experience and knowledge. Like, so you don't even know how good you could be at managing the fear and stress, the things that you're terrified of now. Like it's, it's hard to even forecast that. You just Correct. start to find out as you go on the journey. You know? Right. Um, so when you, do you think that when you fell in love with the sport, you said, you know, many years later after the event you shared early, do you think their desire became increased for, you know, it to be your career and hence you're able to then 
So the desire as it elevated the fear was able to be more managed. Do you think there's that relationship yeah, between think, desire um, and fear? It was kind of like there were different factors that motivated me at different points in my life and they each motivated me to varying degrees. Like when you're a teenager, like when I was young, I was like, I wanted to have a cool car and a hot girlfriend. Like that's what I wanted when I was young, you know, like they were motivating factors at that point in my life. And I was like, I'm going to push myself because I really want these things, you know. And and in my just like idiot brain, it was like ride big waves, be a professional surfer, get all this amazing stuff. And so it's like you have different motivating factors. Like now I've got two young daughters and I want to provide for my kids an awesome life, you know, like I want to be financially free so I can do the things that I love with people that I enjoy doing, you know, like I have different motivating factors through different stages in my life. And the the, the thing is being really clear on those is what yeah. provides you with both the motivation and the resilience to keep getting through the failures that you go through. It's like what? real clarity, like, like what, what does failure look like if you don't take action? Like really clear. It's like like on a personal level, it's when I, I think about my marriage with my wife, it's like five-year hell on earth for me is like my wife flying to Hawaii with my three-year-old daughter, she'd, she'd be like eight at the time, and then my six-month-old who'd be like five, five and a half, and it's like her, my two daughters, and her new husband going to Hawaii for Christmas to celebrate Christmas, me being at home because my my relationships collapsed. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. So I'm really clear about what hell looks like yeah. in the future. And then it's like, these are the things that I need to do to make that not happen. Wow. You know, and they're often those like uncomfortable things that you not that motivated to do I'm not a big sharer of my feelings when it, I'm not a great communicator at home my wife will attest to that so I like to try and force myself to to do that more regularly you know like all these just these little things that are so if you create big pictures like that like real clear wow. pictures emotional pictures in different aspects of your life so you got the same version for your finances and your career yeah. where, where you would like to take that you got the same thing for your personal relationships, your friendships, and then also to do with your health. It's like if you get real clear pictures around what, you know, like do you want to in the future like have to sit down and have that conversation with your kids hmm. that like I'm really sick, I'm I'm about to die or, or watch as you have a heart attack and your kid's running to you and then your life's over because you didn't want to keep under control the amount of alcohol you drank or whether you smoked cigarettes or ate junk food or like, so to me, like being real clear on, you know, the, the, what you want from life, what you want to avoid and how the small actions that you take day to day affect that. That's what gives you motivation to take on fear and the resilience to deal with failures that you go through. That's kind of the bedrock. of it. And then you surround yourself with motivating people. Awesome. Look you're after your health. Person, like, you're the first person that's ever said to paint a picture of what hell looks like. A lot of people have yeah, heard I, saying... Yeah, I'm more negatively geared. That's yeah. why. For <laughs> me, I'm more motivated by avoiding avoiding bad things than I am obtaining something. I do wow. both, but I'd say yeah. I'm 70% more wow. motivated. That's, yeah. really, that's really different to everything that I've known. Like it's always like don't focus on the fearful don't focus on the negative only focus on what you want and what yeah, that it's looks strange like. right because actually more people are like me like the, the majority like i think it's like 60 40 so the more people wow. are motivated by pain than they are by um you know like obtaining something good it's not that you both aren't valuable like it's really powerful wow. to create both but you can just like heighten the motivation if, if you adjust and create pictures around both the different things so you're saying that actually having the fear can be a huge motivational factor of having fear can be used to your advantage take take your fear take your fears and put them behind you so that they spur you into action because it's it's just the fears that you might have if you don't take this action that you're scared to take you know, like I, when I, I had a really bad kind of career ending injury surfing wise mm. and like 
the 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 one career that I could step into and and still have a, a a great lifestyle and provide for my family was public speaking like that was but I'm hyper introverted like for me public speaking is the worst it's like it's it's more nerve-wracking than drowning in the ocean like it's a bigger fear for me like I get a more visceral response from standing on a stage than I do like having a huge right. wave break on me <laughs> but like in my head I was like okay if I don't go through this process and learn to get good and comfortable at this career, then what, what does life look like in five, 10 years from now? Do you know what I mean? Like, so here's my other options for jobs. They weren't that bad, you know, but they were nothing compared to what this public speaking career could provide me. So wow. I get clear on it and then start to do the tasks that I need to do to get comfortable, which is like what a clinical psychologist would call it voluntary exposure therapy voluntarily expose yourself to the the fear little by little and get comfortable you know i'm super that's like talking in front of a camera doing podcasts is like one of the thing tools that i used yeah videoing yourself watching it back like how it's that's the most awkward thing ever but they're just all the pieces of the puzzle for to pick up a skill that you i was nervous about doing yeah it's super like cool like you're so introverted and then you chose public speaking and motivational speaking as the path it's almost like you're always like chasing something that you would you'd say oh that big waves is not really the perfect thing for my physique or whatever and you went and chased that and you became good at it so and then here again in motivational keynote speaking you're saying that I'm shit scared of speaking but you've you use that fear it's almost you're driven by the thing that you fear the most is what almost motivates you to yeah, go well, and it's, be a, it's a, like it probably is the same for a lot of people because if you think about what you really want the most that you don't have, it's usually you don't have it because you're not doing something you're scared to do. Yeah. Usually, not always. Like everyone's different, but there's this like different saying. It's like what you hide away from yourself the most is usually like where the gold lies. You know, like there's yeah. something in there that you're avoiding that's powerful. But yeah, I it, like it was really nice because I got a lot of adrenaline from surfing big waves. And then when I got injured, I I wasn't able to do that for quite a long time. And my brain was so used to the adrenaline, like it becomes really like part of who you are. And it's, it's real hard to deal with the, like you go into depression on the backside, just because your, your brain's trying to adjust to not having that exposure to the excitement. So public speaking was kind of perfect because it brought, a whole lot more adrenaline back into my life wow. like it was, it was kind of handy that way what what i'd love to ask you given you've researched so much about fear and you've read i think almost every book there is on fear i guess for business owners right every day could be up it could be down and one of the biggest fear of business is like the fear of having nothing fear of losing money so one of the things that business owners struggle with and i struggle with personally is oh my god what if I lose all of it right fear of the loss of money sometimes overtakes every other decision that you can't actually go and think of any visualization because that fear is like you know you know I can't end up keeping my employees I can't end up doing x oh my god there's now a recession and becomes a real blockage for entrepreneurs, especially even early stage entrepreneurs. And what's your advice when you're going through this? Like what are the things that we could be doing better when we're having those moments? And those moments sometimes come a couple of times a day or a couple of times a week, but it is constant. For sure. To do with risk, I think it's quite similar. It doesn't matter what aspect in life. It's like you definitely want to try and mitigate risk as much as possible you're still trying to chase your dreams but you want to mitigate it to a certain degree for me in business and to do with my finances if i'm taking some financial risk and business risk i try and adjust what's the bare minimum that i can fail horrendously at all this but i've got enough for this this is my escape plan and this is good because i always dealing with 
corporates, it's like there's so much less job security, right? Like now, like people, it's stressful to be an entrepreneur for sure. But in the job market, it's quite similar. There's not really any security unless you live in France or Europe or something where they actually still provide that type Mm. of security. So everyone's stressed all Mm. the time about losing their job, Mm. which puts you in a bad position to negotiate with your employer, to get bonuses, to do all kinds of stuff. But I'm always like, well, okay, what's the cheapest life that you could live and be happy living that life? Yeah. You know, like the real, and, and you could deal with that. Have a plan for that. It might be like $50,000 gets you a piece of land. It might be fucking pretty far out in the middle of nowhere and it's completely sustainable where your bills are $50 a week. You could fucking have an amazing life out there, raise kids with your family, whatever. There's an escape route give yourself some sort of backup plan, escape route, and then go for helpful leather at that thing because you're mitigating some of the risk. And then on a psychological front, what you want to do is look at the risk you're going to take. So say, I don't know your position, but if you're entrepreneur, have your own business and you're chasing this dream, right? What are you going to have to learn and do in order to be successful at this? And then how much do you love learning those skills? right? And putting all that into practice, how valuable are all of those skills that you're going to pick up if it doesn't go well? It's none of this is is wasted time. You're just building all these amazing skills that of course, entrepreneurs who run their own businesses, employ people, do all this stuff. You're as skilled as it gets to walk Mm -hmm. into almost any position within a big organization because you've dealt with everything and dealt with every level of stress. So I think that the amount of skills that you build trying to run your own business even if you fail at that particular business it's never going to be a waste of time and it wouldn't be hard to get back on your feet when you have that level of experience and skill development so psychologically you can also look at it that way okay i'm I'm, I'm gonna not worry too much about whether i'm successful or not here but this is what i got to do to be successful i'm going to focus on that I'm going to continually focus on how much better I get at certain things along the way rather than being like, I'm shit at this compared to someone else. So internal focus there. And that psychologically, it'll alleviate some of the stress, you know? Yeah. I love the point you made where I've seen so many entrepreneurs just go all in, right? And they didn't leave that escape plan. And then Hmm. they've been burnt so much that they didn't actually have a route to go second, third time. And I think... The main thing here is have the ability to spend on your first business, but have the ability to go second, third time that you can actually, because the first time it's very likely you're going to fail. That first mm. 12 months, 24 months, I've always found, you know, and you're start just learning young. too much. <laughs> yeah. yeah, start young. If you're starting young, it's all right. You can, yes. you can fail through your 20s a hundred times and still kill it from 30 onwards, you know, like. Correct, correct. So it's. Correct. The younger you start, the better. That would be the advice I'm going to give my daughters, depending on what they're kind of drawn to doing. Mm. But if it's being successful at business, start straight away out of school. Forget the degrees. Go yes. get experience in the field that you love. Start your own business and learn because there will be no faster way to learn than that. I absolutely agree. Tell me, what about fear of not being good enough? You know, we feel maybe I don't deserve this success and then that's why we end up doing things maybe in a subconscious way of I don't deserve this. Then everything you're doing, you're doing it like maybe conservatively, right? And you're actually not then investing properly into something that you potentially could be really good at. Is there mechanics or is there, you know, things that we can practice daily to get our mindset in a order of, you know, yeah, those kind of fears. Is there techniques that you can share that you practice i think i did hear someone say this the other day and it was interesting if you're going to become super successful 99 percent of the people in life are going to have certain level of animosity towards your success and they're going to be put off by it so you've got to be willing to kind of deal with that I think like that's a certain element of resilience that takes. I just think the foundation, there's an online writing course that really helps with this that I came across. It's called Mm selfauthoring.com. Go on there, go through the writing courses that are on there. And what this course does, it will pull out of you what really is meaningful to you. 
and what you want to avoid and where you want to go. And the more effort you could spend a month going through that and answering these questions and thinking about them. But if you do that, that will steal you against all the difficulties that you have to go through. Because technically, there's this Russian neuroscientist, right? He came across what he believed was this reflexive mechanism in your brain that accounted for up to 80% of your brain's ability to produce positive emotion. So it kind of, he believed all that positive emotion that's created that makes you kind of happy and resilient and able to deal with the difficulties of life and make you motivated. It's started like the cascading effects are started by this reflexive response. And it's this response in your brain. He coined it and it's a cool name, the orienting reflex. Okay. And he called it the orienting reflex because kind of subconsciously any moment throughout your day, that part of your brain is looking for evidence of progression, progression towards something important or away from something bad. So the same thing. But any evidence that you're moving in motion towards something important, the clearer you can become on what's important to you, what your actual values are, what's important, where you want to go, when you're really clear on that, and then how the little tasks that you do every day adhere to that, then that part of your brain just functions better because it's you're giving it a certain element of certainty. In a ridiculously uncertain world, you're trying to steal that part of your brain with a certain amount of certainty so it functions better. Get really clear on what you want and why you want it. That's Step like best. the... And then beyond that surround yourself with the right people and usually the hard part about that is letting go of the people that are somewhat toxic to you and the life you want to live beyond that it's physical health you see the world through the filter of your internal physiology and the best examples of that just think of the radical example go on a, like a three-day bender with no sleep take all the drugs under the sun and wake up on a monday morning and how do you see the world when your physiology is in that state? Everything's a problem. You got anxiety. The world's going to end. So there's a radical example. But the healthier you are, the better you see the world and the more resilient you are. So it's just that part of it's quite simple as far as being resilient. On top of that, then you have cognitive techniques that you can use to reframe your perspective of situations. Gratitude practice is a really powerful one of those, especially for people like me, which a lot of people are like, like you're more negative geared, you're a little bit more pessimistic about things than kind of optimistic counterparts. Mm -hmm. But for people like me, I find practicing gratitude techniques is quite powerful. The best one I've come across is gratitude text. So if you write to someone a message, send them a message and just say someone in your life, friend, family member, colleague, one of your clients, a boss, like anyone, and just say to them, hey, I was just thinking, I'm pretty lucky to have you in my life. I just wanted to say thanks for this, this, and this. If you write a text like that, you have a certain emotional response. It switches you out of a stress state, like a sympathetic into a parasympathetic state. And in that state, you're just, all your bodily functions are optimized, especially your immune wow. system. So you can elicit that response just with a simple text message. And the bonus is that person who gets that message from you has twice as powerful a response wow. like what they feel when they get a message from someone like that. And then you just kind of create a culture between you and your friendship group and your family that share that gratitude consistently. And then all of you are just more resilient to life's difficulties. That's more of a cognitive technique. There's breathing techniques, like simple breathing one, a physiological sigh. When something spooks you, you freak out and you gasp. You're like... <gasps> Right, And yep. then once the stress goes away, you naturally relax. Mm. And when you relax, you sigh. Like you're like, oh, thank God that's over. You know, I'm okay. Mm. So in moments of stress, if you're sitting at your desk and you're going through something and you're stressed, you can reverse engineer the response by forcing yourself to sigh. So you just take two deep inhalations, one long exhalation, and you do that a few times and it just settles your nervous system down. I think it just kind of deprives your brain of some oxygen, which just makes you, forces you to settle down. But whatever way it's doing it, it makes you relax a little bit. So there's a whole bunch of cognitive techniques. And then you're looking at yoga, meditation, 
high intensity exercise, heat or cold exposure like saunas, ice baths. There's so many different things that you can Mm. do on that front. But what sits at the heart of it is the direction and the meaning. That's the self-authoring program. That's probably the best starting point, especially in business. But you do it at all aspects of your life and it's, it's pretty powerful. Great tips. Love the gratitude one. I'm going to probably start to implement that. I think. Try it now. Yeah, try it. one. See how you feel. I'm telling I know. you. It, it feels a bit awkward if you don't do it, right? Going, it's really this awkward. And you often get free? quite strange responses. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, okay, you, you okay? might get one like, hey, are you dying or something? Yeah. What's wrong with you? Or you <laughs> yeah. might get ones like, okay, now tell me what you did wrong. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking. But once I guess you can share with them, no, I'm practicing gratitude and they know that i think it's fine but yeah at first I'm here i'll give you a listen as a script so the people listening to the podcast here just write it like this hey i'm just listening to this podcast some weird big wave surfer guys talking all about gratitude but it just made me think that i'm really lucky to have you in my life something like that it's not awkward that you're totally out of the blue it's something just spurred me to think that i'm so lucky to have you that way it's a less I like that. Less I'll awkward. use that after this. I yeah. want to go back and touch on content. We talked about it before and in this big wave surfing career of yours, it sounds like content exposure was big and I wasn't myself aware how big it was until I started sort of looking and hearing your, some of your other podcasts before that you'd taken part in, but today more so you were really saying, I'm driving the conversation there saying, I would have to have the best videographer, photographer and creativity to actually put myself and get sponsorship on social media. Did you see that transformation that you really have to have a brand on social media and put that content out and hopefully it gets picked up? And how did you come up with, you know, the best team around you? Were you kind of identifying, oh, this person did really good job here. And tell me about that process for you to find the best team. Yeah, I just maintain really strong relationships with the magazine editors over my career, become really close friends with a couple of them. And it was interesting because you got to think, most of your listeners are like, what, a magazine? Fuck, you yeah. read things? It's so bizarre. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. that was, in my day, you get a photo on the cover of a magazine, you're getting paid bonuses, $20,000, $30,000 to get a photo on a magazine cover. Mm. Social media didn't exist. You couldn't yeah. talk directly to anyone. You had yeah. to go through a magazine, a video that came out a month later, or you might end up on the news at some point. Like there was no direct communication, mm. but that started to become apparent, of course. Like first it was like the blogs, but no one went to the trouble of having their own blog. But my friend who was in the marketing world and ran one of the biggest surf magazines, like mm. he switched online first, did everything yeah. digital, started the blogs, all that, and he would just tell me about it. He's like, this is what you got to do. Can be yeah. And like I have a big following on Instagram just because I was the first one on there in the surf yeah. world, basically. And I just prioritized it because it just made sense to me that if people pay you to provide marketing value for their products, well, if you have a direct following that's mm. quantifiable that you can show them, there's no more powerful thing than that. And it slowly did change. It didn't change straight away, but now the majority of tracks paid out in surfing. Like there's the surf competitors who are winning world titles. Their social media still is a huge part of their contract mm. for sure. For the rest of us, that following is what your contract's based on. And, so they and of course look your brand, at that. If it, uh, if it aligns. So they look at that, like how much, how much following do you have when they sign you for yeah, sponsoring? Yeah, and the engagement. You. Yeah. And as it's got, you know, it was very simplistic originally and you could kind of hack it and they couldn't tell exactly how engaged people were and all that type of stuff. But now the analytics behind it is amazing. And then it's very easy for the companies now. It's just, here's a product, advertise it to your following and here's the link to sell it and we'll see how powerful you are, you know? Yeah. There's no hide. Right. Like how much influence you truly have will be able to know within that. How much influence do you have to persuade buying? Yeah. Yeah throughout my career was it was understanding like what my brand was and what products would match well anytime I made tried to 
match a product even though it was worth more money to me and it yes, didn't fit it didn't like fit. and I wasn't I just wasn't motivated about doing it and it never ended well ever but if it was some cool and I was always I wasn't the most like fashionable person or like mm. good looking model type kid mm. that would get paid a stack like mm. my thing was the people who followed me trusted me and I was going to put the equipment to the test in hard environments here's the wetsuits that you should be wearing here's the boards that you could ride just stuff like that so yeah you've got you've got just, to be really clear on that personal brand as yeah. to why people follow you what is it that you bring to them and then the products yeah. will just naturally fit anyway like they're probably part of your post that you're going to do anyway so For sure. you know yeah. I, they're the best it, products if you're products. going to tell someone about something regardless of whether they're going to pay you that's yeah. the company you that's, should be doing stuff with. Abso- absolutely. But mind you, in saying that, like, I love the fact that's not my career now and I don't have to do any of it to do with surfing because in a sense, as amazing as it was and I wouldn't take it back, it, there were moments in my career where I lost a little bit of the love for surfing because it became too much about a business, you know, whereas now yeah. I get paid to do my speaking and I can just surf for surfing's sake, which is, it's really nice. Not that I'm saying it was, I'm not complaining about it, but... <laughs> It's the speaking draining. is really interesting, your transition now and the way you have to market that. And you, you've you obviously realised LinkedIn is where people are hanging out when it, their businesses and moving from Instagram, you know, and the content over there mm. and how you're engaging and now you're a motivational speaker, you obviously realise now I've got to take a position in this new network, which has got totally kind of different a style of how people want to hear and listen and all that. How was that transition for you when you used to Instagram, huge following, then motivational speaking, you see and understand that, okay, I've got this other platform potentially where my followers on this new journey is hanging out. Was there any changes you made as a personal brand as you moved towards motivational speaking or as you took on this opportunity into a new social network? Yeah, it was quite interesting because I never, like within surfing, I just shared surfing. I didn't, like being an introvert, I don't want to share too much of my life, personality. I'm not that opinionated on things. I understand that most situations and topics are gray. It's not like Mm -hmm. I'm never like really strong opinionated on many things because things are complex. So the following I had on Instagram was just to see me ride huge waves usually wipe out and survive people watching wipeouts and I wasn't sharing much about myself and I never shared what I was doing in the world of speaking on my Instagram really only till recently and then the switch to LinkedIn it was a lot more business focused like as far as sharing stuff about performance to try and showcase why you would want to have me speak to your employees I still notice anytime I wrap that and it's why I get paid as a keynote speaker. It's like anytime I wrap those messages in the world of big wave surfing with the photos and footage of big wave surfing, they just got more interaction. So mm. it's that constant thing where you just got to watch for the feedback the audience right. is, is still looking at social media, what they like, what posts do well. And then it's really easy, again, like with products, but when it's a topic that I'm – passionate about like dealing with fear I like sharing stuff about that and I'm just like well if I like it I've just got to remind myself there's a certain amount of people out there that might like it too you know because the world in corporate training leadership development all that type of stuff it often really shifts around they just create a different term a different way to package or market the same Mm. performance techniques and it's a little bit like I don't like chasing those different reframing of certain content i'm like look i just like to keep it real simple this is what works for me in this environment also works for me in public speaking it might be valuable to you i just stick to the things that i really like and it seems to work well enough i mean i could probably chase other aspects of the world of corporate training but i'm just not that motivated to do it (laughs) do you have anything on linkedin that you're striving towards is there anything you want to ask me about LinkedIn, personal branding? Is it things that, you know, you want to strive to that I can, you know, give you tips on? I guess just like all the different ways to optimize what the algorithm is. 
yeah. I don't know because I know from my experience of doing stuff on LinkedIn, I mean on Instagram for so many years, that yes. just changes so so Correct. much. And it seems like it does change on LinkedIn, LinkedIn a fair well. bit. Info around what optimizes posts and doesn't. You know, like I know that there's certain posts that I put effort into and that are good and entertaining always do the best. But the then best. there's also time of day that you post, amount of engagement straight up front, I'm guessing. Yeah. Do you put a link in the thing that takes you away from LinkedIn? Does that cruel yeah. the refer- You know, like all yeah, this stuff, all like that that stuff. Is, I find really interesting. So first thing I want to give you a tip on is that there's a data analytics tool called Shield, S-H-I-E-L-D. Mm. I don't know if you're on it already are you on shield already which tells you i'm I'm familiar with it and okay but i haven't looked into it i think it's a great tool because it tells you your top performing content in the last three years or five years or ten years whatever you've been posting for so that even though you're thinking oh this is done well this is done well it's really much more better if you can actually see what are my top 10 posts so i can do more of that is it videos and then you can actually see very clearly why did it do so well? Is it because it had more comments than, you know, or was it the likes? Right now, comments are what ends up driving the algorithm, but more so they've gotten more intelligent because people could hack comments and I could say, Mark, can you make sure you comment on this? They're measuring dwell mm-hmm. time, how long someone spent on that post to read it, to absorb it. So, if dwell time is the most important thing is that you get someone to click that see more button that appears on your post. So you've got to make it like some sort of the first line to be so capturing and the second line to be almost like a story, like almost the best part of your content. And then they have to press see more because they're hooked to, you know, like last night was really scary. Something happened. And then your whole content starts because you've hooked me in you haven't given me enough, you know. I actually but, noticed that. It's funny because the, exactly the way you told that. So it's like you just went story, right? Yeah. It's like last night was really shit. Yeah. yeah. I did a post the other day. It was like, like, because often I'm like, I'm going to just, here's a technique and what works. Yeah. But I did it the other day where it was like, I just told it, told the story and the technique came out of the story. And yeah. that went way better than anything of just telling yeah. a technique. Yeah, yeah, you got to tell the first two lines. I've actually got a resource, I'll send it to you. It's got the top 50 performing lines to help inspire, like that's gone viral before, so that you can actually go, okay, these are the first two lines of a post that's achieved 50K or 100K organically. So then you can actually get in your mind, okay, I've got to kind of write like this. So that's something that's really cool. The other thing for does you... Does time of day or day of week make a difference? It does. It does. So the thing that you need to be doing is being very consistent when you show up. Okay, so I have chosen a 10 a.m. time slot daily. I show up 10 a.m. and that's because then I can hit the San Fran market and the and the Australian market when someone sits down and they're like, okay, I'm having my coffee. I just, you know, I've had my nine o'clock. I'm hitting the 10 a.m. so I can have multiple times that, you know, I'm hitting other networks. But for Australians, if you just want to hit Australian businesses, I think that 5 p.m. and corporates, because you're targeting corporates, that's a very common time at 5 p.m. finishing work or that 4, 5 p.m., 6 p.m. I'm moving back. I'm traveling back home. That's probably your best time. So, yeah. Go for that. You're like and tired, be- you're commuting on the train and you're just like looking down and flicking through. Yes. Yeah, that's exactly yes. what I would do. So that's when you should every time and then LinkedIn looks at how often if you post exactly at that time, remember that your audience knows, oh, I, Mark's going to show up in my post. And if they really like your stuff, I show up sometimes at that time for people I really like, mm-hmm. like influencers I love. I'll actually check my phone at 11 because I know that they post. I know that's crazy because I just want to hit off their content to see what they're saying because I want inspiration or whatever. So being really consistent helps your audience know to check their phone because they know that you'll turn up in their feed at that very moment. So choose that's your time. That's what I'm terrible with. It. Yeah, you Consistency have to. is what I'm really terrible with. Right, right. I mean, that's why we have our clients, we say, you know, we work with them to be consistent because they'll be like, I got distracted, got this or got that. And it's like, 
but we have to show up that time that people expect you, right? Even if you just do once a week, you know, or even if you do twice a week or whatever it is, but it should be that same time I feel that your audience knows that you're on. Um, is that the same on Instagram as well? It's like I always find that if I post, say, really, really regularly for a couple of weeks, then the next posts get way more attention, yes. whereas like I can yes. put a good post up, but I haven't posted anything for a month because I just was busy. I couldn't be bothered. And then I post something that doesn't get the traction. I feel that's what happens in terms of, for me, on LinkedIn, definitely, that mm. if I'm consistent, even TikTok recently, I've started moving content into TikTok and I was getting shit like 67 views and I'm like, oh, my God, this is so crap. But then I did it every day consistently and then it goes up to 334. It's going up to 500. Like, So I think that maybe the algorithm trusts you more, like just like how Google trusts you more, that you're actually – okay, someone that is showing up, maybe the algorithm goes, oh, that's much more of a serious. Mm. I think it that, does. You know that's the old school like radio Triple J model for artists. It's like they don't expose Release. an artist until they've got a couple of albums under their yeah. belt. They're going to be yeah. around. Yeah. yeah. But then I sense. also, I'll tell you something else. I also realized when you don't post for ages and then you post on LinkedIn, sometimes they give you this hit of like trying to excite you because you haven't posted and yeah. there'll be a viral post and you're like so excited and then your next six posts, even though they might be amazing or the next month, it's like you're not getting the same viewership. So one of my clients will go like viral, viral and it's a, usually their first post when a client comes on with us, 100,000 on this because they've never posted in like six, you know, and LinkedIn's going to make them feel really good and then the expectation mm. is, I want this every time and they're just not going to give it to you. It's just, I think they're trying to hype you up, excite you into back into their algorithm. So, but for you, I did look at your content and I think because you're a motivational speaker, video content is absolute. And I see the stuff you're doing with your daughter, super cool with the captions that were mm. coming on. And I think That's you must have sharing from, from, sharing Insta from LinkedIn pretty much. I mean, from Instagram. Oh, from Instagram. Yeah. But if you did the same thing yourself, mm. talking with the captions and giving away, you know, some parts of your motivational speaking, hey, I think that's going to really resonate. And a lot of the times I feel like on LinkedIn, there's not enough motivational stuff on there. We're all mm. talking about business and we're talking about, you know, how I can give you a tip and all that. So if you really take your position and voice going, you know, your inspirational voice or how you came over this and it was using that sort of same style because it's quite captivating, quite personal. I think that could go super cool because I think what you want to find is you want to be known as a category leader for inspiring business businesses or inspiring mm -hmm. employees and helping people overcome feeling. That's a motivational speaker I want on my feed because I need that hit every single day. And then they'll be like, can you come and speak as well for us? Because I think it's the employees for you that are going to end up telling the HR or telling X, for I sure. saw Mark. So how can you, like you were talking a lot about that earlier, like how do you help them going, I've got fear of job. And when you've had fear of career and fear of not ever coming back into surfing and when you, you know, sharing that, I think it's very powerful and how you overcame that. So if you turned up all the time as the person that if I'm having a fearful moment, I just go watch Mark Matthews for a bit and you became you a cat. Yeah. Do you, is like there a quality kind of control that you need? Because I find it quite labor intensive to be consistent and to do a lot of work. If I yeah. had a team doing that would be fucking yeah. afford a nonstop yeah, uh, that's so person doing it would be amazing, but then it's quite personal, some of the stuff, so you can't really have someone else write stuff. So, But there's a certain level of quality that people need to see or do you think it's just – because I often see like people do a lot, but yeah. the quality's not great. No. And no. then I see, to see like a lot of quality, but I'm like, how do you put that time into doing that? Like it's, it's, it's actually getting easier with the captioning yeah, caption. apps and stuff like that, but – so I still am like, I love that question. I love the question. I mean, I, the way I do it and the way I do it for the clients who are truly like innovative is they come in for an interview, like kind of what we've done. They share intimately lots of questions. They spend an hour doing that. So if you were doing it yourself as well, like you would 
go and actually ask someone, like ask me these questions. This is how Gary V and the big players also do it. You, the quality of the actual video is not the problem. The quality of the content is what I think is mm. the actual crux of it. The quality of what you're going to say as a thought leader is what matters. So even if you did it yeah. on your phone or whether you did it on Zoom, that is all irrelevant to the to the algorithm. It's just such yeah. a high quality that we can shoot at now with webcam. Yeah, what, what you're saying and how you're saying it is probably more. That's yeah. And what's the right? quality of the power of that message and how does it resonate? Mm. But if you come in, do it because there's hour, subtleties to like Gary V's delivery of his content that is very different. Like what he's saying, everyone says. Like I say, I, it, everyone says I, it, but he's very like raw and entertaining, and it is actually captured in that type of way like fly on the wall like going through his life he would have his video editor be constantly shooting him and he has a whole team so if you know that that would i think he's just all the time shooting so he's just got so much content Mm. but he's also had so much experience like you said before he's had Mm. so much experience i have this this, problem whereas as far as like what i do i'm like there's a certain level of amount I want to share of myself. I, I don't want to be famous at all. Like I, yeah. I just like want to do like there's a certain sweet spot for me and I like because I couldn't think of anything worse than doing what he being as famous as what he is. And Yeah, but you're pretty famous. Stuff on your, yeah, that's quite. <laughs> you're pretty famous. Be, Maybe you've already had the fame. You know, you're not chasing the fame. Be, you're pretty that famous. That would be exhausting. <laughs> being, that, so, being that famous would be exhausting. That, yeah, well, he runs a media company, so he has it. But I think, you know, that's what I love is someone like you come in, do an interview, chop up the content. So you've got huge mm. amounts of pieces. But you're accessing someone that can produce content a lot, you know, like an agent with an agency that you can trust or someone that's like, you know, con- like I've got five editors that are constantly just editing clients' content because they don't have the time like you. Time is the biggest issue They'll put the captions on, but the thought leadership comes from that person. Yeah. And then there's a ghostwriter that sits on, that writes the caption, and you get it, spend 10 minutes editing it. Then you've got a process of yeah. if you can have that process where you just spend an hour shooting a month and then you've got everything done for you and then it's just given to you to just check, then you can probably distribute faster and at the, at the quality mm. that you're happy at. So ghostwriter and an editor and then a system of coming in, shooting, giving it to the editor, editor gives it to the ghostwriter and then distributes, then someone that distributes it out is sort of the whole thing will give you huge. just takes time to build up and, okay, getting getting to that. Yeah. What about paid advertising? Is yeah. It, Interesting. Is there value... Is there value in paid advertising? Yeah, if you've well, got how really much value, there must be value, but compared to how much? It depends on. I you. haven't done it on on no? um, LinkedIn yet, but yeah. I plan to. Yeah, LinkedIn's super expensive when it comes to clicks. It's not as it's not as cheaply bought as Facebook or Instagram. So an mm. average click usually starts three four dollars for a click. So. I do find that most people come to LinkedIn and they feel really burnt very quickly because they don't have the depth of pocket to carry it. But what I think is super powerful in LinkedIn, if you do do ads, say if you were running an event or if you had a really mm. a, a keynote speaking event that you really you know wanted people, it was online and you wanted them to attend, or events can do really, really well with very, you know, I found with small budgets that I've put into it. And you can be very yeah. targeted with your audience. So if you wanted to target. Yeah. That, that's probably you're the most successful thing I've done on LinkedIn is doing a free showcase of the keynote virtual when everyone was kind of used to doing virtual stuff. So, I think that's what would work for you. If you, that's mm. your whole positioning, maybe. And whether you, because you don't make the time is always the issue, right? You don't want to always come in and go, okay, I've got to do my next free thing, but whether you want to target an audience and let them watch the replay and then, yeah. you know, if they if they want to book in for finding out your actual corporate things, but maybe 
the replay, like you do a really powerful one that you're really like into and then you just drive people to mm. that creatively that maybe they're feeling down in that moment and it's like watch this replay. So maybe you've got to actually think do I continue to show up and invest my time every time or do they watch a replay or do I just do one of those Q&A parts that they watch the mm. replay and then they can have, they can book into a live Q&A for 15, 20 minutes once a week that they can actually access. Yeah, I think live Q&A would be good. Like yeah. Celeste, the, the, the part that I'm a little protective of is like you've got, I've got a keynote that I deliver that's kind of, 80% of my revenue comes from this one yes. keynote. Yes. It's like, so I don't want to necessarily, I want to share that on stage when I'm getting paid all this money to do it. Correct. Like, Correct. And no, um, I don't want to me- just leave it sitting out there type thing. That's why I don't do like TED talks and stuff because they want me to do the TED talk with the story that I deliver on stage. I'm like, no, I can mm-hmm. do a different one, but yeah. it's not going to be as good. <laughs> I think you almost need to do it like a taster of it, right? Or mm. you kind of do not obviously give the main thing, but you give a taster. I just thought it's like kind mm. of like I had a lady on here that was all about make love, not porn. And she was saying, you know, you have to create a free taster if you want to go on her platform, which, so, you know, with porn, she was saying you give your taster. So you'd have to give that, you have to entice <laughs> with That's the so free thing. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. you'll have That's to, really uh, <laughs> yeah. So you'll, so you'll have to, I think, definitely do a free element if you were going to put any money to LinkedIn paid ads. But honestly, okay. with your story organically, you'll be you should be able to have a really pretty strong play as a personality. And then, yes, with the ads, you can sometimes go, okay, I'm going to have a category of an ad that I'm going to run. Like I think you you plan those and put budget towards those and say, okay, let's run a campaign of this to really amplify my keynote thing or really amplify, let's run an event to yeah, really grow the my audience. I think that would, yeah, definitely. The way I did it with like, I used a bot that kind of just sent hundreds, and this is before LinkedIn got the hang of not allowing you to yes. send like lots yes, of messages lots to of people. Messages. Yeah. yeah, but it wasn't, it wasn't as offensive like messaging people because I'm like, here, I'm doing this. If you want to come along for free, you're welcome, you know, like. Here's, here's the invitation and that worked so good because I could send like that bot sent thousands of invites I know. And, I, and then I had like I did two times and had like 500 people on each wow. three of the keynotes so then it was like that just turned into heaps of work. One Yeah, one tip for you. But now I went to like I looked into doing that the yeah. other day but the bot it's only gone a certain amount you can send now <laughs> yeah you can only do a hundred you can only do a hundred to new strength. networks which yeah. is crap because i remember it used to be a hundred a day and that's why you got to get onto these platforms nice and early because you could have really yeah it's a hundred a week know, now is it hundred a week hundred a week yeah. it used to be a hundred a day but yeah. because you've got fourteen thousand followers within that you can hit your first connections like just direct yeah. messaging still a hundred if you want to hit that. If you've grown your audience, then you can contact them much more faster. But if it's new audiences, yeah, it's a little bit slow. Is it still only, is it still the new, the connections that you have, is that limited, right? I, that's limited to, I think, about still, they're still going to watch you at 100 a day. But oh, so if okay. they're your first connections, you can go use the these automations to hit your 14k and I don't know if you know how like whether you got into it like when you can go into sales navigator and really understand from your 14,000 who is exactly best tool ever yes right the search engine in sales navigator is amazing yes so you can just hit from your first connections and decide who it is that you want to communicate with and that still you can do because of your first connections at that hundred a day. The actual thing that I did realize too, like a little thing was if I send the message through sales navigator, the, and provided the link, no photo comes up with a link. But if you send the message through LinkedIn in the chat message, the link turns into a photo. And my whole thing is like, here's the invite to come and watch this and it's like the link turns into a photo of a huge oh, wave. Got it. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Like the take up was totally different. But yeah, it ended up there was like a 
hack in the bot that allowed you to f- use the search engine of sales navigator that's what and I then do. it bypassed it and sent it through the yeah i don't use sales chat. navigator to do the chat because that yeah. goes to a different inbox so yeah. all the bots that are used i only would recommend using the ones as a natural connection because yeah the problem with the sales navigator one it comes like in a different inbox and some people don't check that inbox or if they don't have sales yeah. like do you i don't yeah, check my sales navigator yeah. yeah and then the in-mails right now mark it's gotten really sophisticated from back in before where the bots or the automations have now gotten into where you can profile view you can like a post before you send a connection request so the uh. the flow of the maturity in where you know, automation has gotten to is much more mature because now people hate everyone trying to connect with me. Everyone's trying to connect mm. with me. Like, no, we don't want to connect. But so the maturity of trying to build a relationship before you even send a connection request has been set up so that. So the bots can do that now too. Yeah. That's so awesome. it's much more mature. So if I was going to set up a trying to, you're trying to mimic yourself as naturally as you can, yeah. right? Like what would I naturally do? I would go visit a profile. I would go check out their stuff, right? I'd go mm. like something potentially before I'm even going to engage with them to verify that they're my absolute person. And then after you connect, you're probably going to again go have a look at their profile, right? Mm-hmm. And then you're probably going to – so you can actually mimic what you would naturally – Automate all that. Much more better, yeah. Than what back in the day, just send a connection request and the same message one, two, three. No, it's a lot. It's more like a flow of a full diagram and chart. And if they don't accept, okay, go into InMail. If they don't do an InMail, go into an email instead. Yeah, and I'm going to be coming mature. to you to get to do my the next I thing because yeah. I always <laughs> like I use that bot and I was like, geez, I only use this to a tiny amount of its capacity. I was like. I need an right. expert on the bot. <laughs> Who's yeah. the expert yeah. on the bot? That's well, the person that is obsessed with you in my team, Paul, is the expert in the bot. He's like the a bot. massive, he's the, he's the bot expert. Oh, he's, awesome. he'll, he's going to lose his mind when he hears Mark Matthews going, being obsessed with bot. He'll be like, he's like followed you on Instagram <laughs> forever. And he's like, I really. COVID, <laughs> it was like, I had to learn sales through COVID. I was like, this, that thing saved my life. That He's going to go, oh, my God, I can't yeah. believe this. Mark Matthews. So, so so amazing talking to you, sharing. It's I look forward to more conversations and look forward to sharing some of the amazing techniques you've shared with the audience. And lots of little video clips will be coming out of awesome. us soon. So it's that content that you were saying that you're struggling with. There'll be some Good stuff for you to start sharing through as well. Send it, send it over. I'm happy to post <laughs> it. I might actually get some consistency going for a change. Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you, Mark, and we'll talk very soon, I'm sure. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You are listening to Innovative Minds. Tune in every Thursday and spark your mind. <laughs>